you are listening to Single Sirs. My name is Arno Martire, and I am your host. Single Service is a podcast dealing with design, architecture, business, and city building in which I interview an expert on a specific subject matter. Together, we dive into that topic and challenge conventional thinking in a thought-provoking conversation. I sincerely hope that you will find these conversations as engaging as I did and learn a thing or two in the process. Don't forget to send us your comments, criticism, and praise. To do so, you can email us at hello at rvltr.studio or leave a comment online. You can also subscribe to the podcast on our website at rvltr.studio. We're here today to talk about the future of retail and joining us are Supreet Barhe and Stanley's son. Supreet is a principal at WZMH Architects in Toronto, where she leads the retail team. As a result of the shifting retail landscape brought about by long-term trends and accelerated by the pandemic, she and her team have been working on an initiative called the Future of Retail. Stanley is the co-founder and principal at Mason Studio in Toronto, where he has worked on a variety of interiors from boutique hotels to retail stores. He's a keen observer of how people interact with and use spaces. He uses that knowledge to shape spaces, specifically with light. So thank you very much, both of you, for joining us today here at IDS 2022. Uh, can each of you tell us who you and what you do in your own words in three sentences or less? Sure. My name is Stanley Sun. Uh, I'm an interior designer, but we really focus on using interior design as a tool to help make better. So cultural and social issues, how can we use interior design as an opportunity to better that conversation? I'm Supreet Parhe, and uh, I'm an architect by profession, and I'm leading the retail sector currently at WZMH Architects. I would like to think I'm a strong advocate for green, future-looking, technology-forward, sustainable design. And recently, I've also been enjoying being a mentor to young um, architects and uh, interns who have been coming in also from um, other countries, um, so uh, foreign trade architects. So I'm also being a guiding principal for them and uh, kind of um, mentoring their path so they can forge their way into this country. Makes me want to work there. Um, so in order to look at the future of retail, we have to understand its past. What has changed since the pandemic? So Arnaud, as you know, uh, traditional malls, we know them used to be these big, huge enclosed shopping centers. And then most of them were just retail stores with anchor at the ends of the malls um, and then uh, a food court somewhere in the middle. Right. So that's how we have seen shopping malls from the 1960s. But there was already a major shift happening pre-pandemic where the nature of these shopping malls was changing from strictly just being enclosed shopping malls to becoming more community, more engaging and trying to get more um, going than just being a venue for shopping. What pandemic did was it actually changed um, the way people shop. It brought in this parameter of shopping in a safe environment and being uh, in a socially distanced format, which was not in the equation before the pandemic hit. Suddenly, having an exterior entrance directly into the store became such a huge factor when all of these stores used to be um, looking into inside the shopping malls. Um, and then uh, having um, being able to navigate in a shop safe environment was, of course, a big pandemic shift that has uh, brought us into where we are today. 
For us, the pandemic didn't necessarily cause something different. It just expedited a process. Um, as Supreet was saying, this was already happening. Pandemic just made it faster and made us more aware of it. I think if the pandemic didn't happen, these things would have naturally occurred. I don't know the time or the length. We Also, we just might not have seen it happen. But now I think there is more of an awareness um, of the retail shift that's happened. So all of the conversations we're having now in terms of these omni-channel um, experiences, online versus physical, these were all conversations that were happening in the past, but now are more relevant um, and are now talking about something um, of the future, but now. That makes sense. Um, so what specific changes would you have seen in uh, how people shop and, and interact with retail and even how retailers um, put themselves out there and try to continue doing business? Um, so in the past, um, experience retail was always a conversation and that's where I was heading. You know, it's not just about selling something. It's about selling experience, a lifestyle. But what we're seeing now and what we're really advocating for is not only about um, promoting experience, but really creating spaces that promote the business values. You know, the retail is just one component of it, but what is that business actually trying to accomplish and how do they, um, as I mentioned, talk about these issues that are relevant within their industry using retail as a catalyst and as an opportunity and a vehicle for having bigger discussions. So now it's not only about retail, not only about experience, but conversation. So now we want to be able to figure out um, how do we create spaces, interior spaces that actually facilitate all of that. So we almost see retail as a non-existent word in the future, and we're going to have a new typology or a paradigm of what retail is. So um, as Stanley said, the shift in uh, retail was already happening pre-pandemic and a lot of things just got um, uh, fast-tracked because of how pandemic took things. So um, I think um, a lot of the surveys have shown that uh, everything shifted digital, but, but it was only temporary because people are still longing to go back They still want to have those physical experiences, but how do you curate and how do you make it engaging and how do you attract to make these experiences better is where we are heading. So there is a major shift that is already happening. So I recently conducted an interview that hasn't been published yet with um, a service designer. So uh, someone who's really focused on uh, looking at any kind of design, whether it's an object or space or an experience from the perspective of how does that serve the user or the customer? And um, he was going as far as arguing that architecture is and interior design are service design disciplines because you have to make sure that the people you're serving are uh, having a great experience. They're getting what they they're looking for and they're going to come back for more. So what's your take on that? And and can you maybe talk a little bit about how that influences your work and how do you see that influencing the future of uh, uh, the retail experience, for, per se, for, uh, for example? So service design is so important. I think it's even more important today than it was ever, uh, cons ever considered. It's a holistic process that considers all touch points of the customer journey. And it's it's their map from the first discovery to how this whole experience takes place. So it's a craft of tying together this human, digital and physical interactions 
over time to create this differentiated experience for your customers. And I think it is so important today if you want people to take them away from the digital world and bring them into this human, physical touch and feel world, you have to take the service design to a complete next level. And as we say, learn to design moments that people will remember. Uh, so for Mesa Studio, our whole philosophy is really just about human-centric design. So this is really very much in our wheelhouse. And um, personally, I come from a science background, a human sciences background. So fundamentally, um, we design for humans, you know, regardless of ability or age or location or culture, we are people, you know, we have bodies and we have um, physical requirements, although very different. By and large, we have to accommodate those different functions within a space. Um, so I, I, I strongly believe that the physical space that surrounds us and objects and um, the physicality around us has a has a physiological response and change in the body of humans. So I strongly believe that first and foremost. And the second layer on top of that is understanding the cultural context. So very, very important for us is not just about the culture of, you know, say Canada or Toronto or a neighborhood, but what is the culture of that family, of that nuclear family, of the friends? And, you know, we really had to get specific about understanding who people are as, as individuals and as groups and communities. Uh, if we don't understand that, then we're just designing for a broad scope of human beings, which we need to do. However, we don't have that layer on top of it. So, you know, there are certain components that we all need in space. And then our understanding of the culture and, and cult the culture in which they exist is the second layer that has to be uh, applied onto our designs. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. As a, an architectural photographer, I've been joking for years that when clients ask me to shoot a space empty, it makes no sense because spaces are for people, right? You And we actually demonstrably, it's, it's scientifically proven that we respond better to even images with people in them than images of an empty space. Um, so where do you see that aspect of the biology of... of the impact of, on the, of the design on the biology and also the cultural aspect that you just mentioned, uh, taking uh, architecture and design in the future and, and maybe talk to some of the trends that you're already seeing or you're thinking about that may not be happening, but you think uh, will be important. That's a good question. Um, one thing that I'm just thinking one example that we did recently, just a couple months ago, um, again, about human-centric, understanding how people use space, but also using design as an opportunity for social conversation. So linking those three together, uh, a photo shoot that we just did at a completed project was inviting a nonprofit organization called Shoot for Peace. Um, it was a young, uh, young gentleman um, who created this nonprofit that gives cameras to um, youth that may not have the opportunity otherwise to learn a skill, a professional skill. So we invited them into one of our completed projects and asked them to be our architectural photographers, not being trained, not having the eye, but they are the users. So they are the experts. So we asked them to hang out with their friends, take the camera for the day. And that's the, the photography that we used. You know, it's not about having this perfect environment, but it's saying, what is perfect for them? How do they use it? What do they not like? Right? So we're not here just to find the perfect moments. We're here to find the moments that absolutely did not work None of these youth think are viable or reasonable, and we want to learn from that. So for us, it's about being truthful and learning from that experience. Um, and then in hopes also is to give that opportunity and a memory to, this, to, the, to the youth who participated 
as being part of the conversation. You know, this condo was built in their neighborhood and we want to say, you're part of the neighborhood. You get to photograph or photograph the space and you're part of the conversation now. So, and documented permanently. So. That's amazing. Um, bringing the community into the mix and engaging them right into the spaces you're creating. So how about we take this conversation to the other end of the spectrum? So how about uh, technology forward architecture? How about, yes, human centric, keeping people, but it's creating an experience for them. So you got to learn from them what they like, what they're all about. And we have technology that can help us get there. Right. So um, learn about your users, learn about your customers, learn about who they are, what they're about, and then create a very um, specific uh, experience for them, which is focused on what they are, how they come from and what they like to do. So it's 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 uh, invigorating, changing experience, which is more based on what your customer is looking for or what the person who is in there looking for. So creating those moments, as you said, not perfect moments, not bar moments, but creating a moment which is more personable, which you can relate to better. I think those are what's going to draw people uh, come and uh, be a part of these spaces. Yeah. And if you look at design magazines, you'll always see gorgeous pictures of beautifully designed spaces, but more often than not, they're completely soulless because there's no furniture, there's no carpets, or the furniture is what was picked by the designer, but there's no like no spark from the, the users that make um the space theirs, like drapes, tchotchkes on the on the shelves, carpets, whatever else might, that might be. Um and I, I think that's a, a, an important aspect of design because, again, you're designing for people. So when you're look, showing a space in a very kind of generic state, you're kind of missing that point. Um, so speaking about technology, can you tell us a little more about what it can do for design and designing spaces that are better for people, but also... Um, uh, speak a bit to the dangers of technology because we know with like um, un, um, there can be unethical data collection practices and things like that that could lead to potential issues and I think technology is fine but it also has to be balanced with um, the right amount of uh, ethics to make sure that it doesn't go too far so can you speak a little bit to that? Okay. So you're right. Um, we did have a few of those incidents where um, the users believed that the data was being collected. So there were privacy issues. So we always have to be mindful and respectful. As we said, you know, we keep people first in design. But at the same time, again, if they're willing to share the information, if we can learn more about them, whether it's via conversation or whether it's via the kind of stuff they're entering into the system, which is getting captured via data collection, it's learning more about them. So again, only learn as much as they want to share not more, not less, but what it helps is it makes the experience more um, personable in the sense it's catered more to what you're looking for. So let's take it out of the context for a bit because you're talking about the retail and let's say a person's gone for shopping to a shopping center, just as an example. If they're not willing to share what they're looking for, it's very hard for the technology to be able to help them what they're looking for, right? So if they're okay to share that I'm here to shop for this and this and this, show me the promotions, show me all the places that have all of this going on. The technology is already helping you at the front door to tell you or guide you rather than you having to explore on your own, right? So it's so again, it's it's the right balance where it's there to help you and make this experience seamless for you rather than breach 
the information that you don't want to share or you don't want anyone to know about you, right? So it's it's more catered and focused on what you're looking for. How can we help you with that? Rather than trying to get into any more detail than what they need to. It's all about creating the experience which they're going to remember, like, and then they probably come back saying, wow, that went very easy. I was able to get everything I wanted. And it was in um in a record time because I didn't have to explore and look for it. I was actually guided by technology and wayfinding, telling me where I can or should go to get what I'm looking for. Um, well, we talk about technology in our firm. We talk about it as opening up doors of access to communities that may not have had access previously to certain experiences, product. Um, cultural components so you know um you know we've had this opportunity where um having access to technology has been able to bring things that were inaccessible previously to people you know thinking about online marketplaces with you know one day delivery six hour delivery whatever it is it's not just for convenience but we see those as opportunities to bring things to people in need um, and how can we use those techniques to actually help better communities? So from our side, it's about understanding the potential of these new technologies and what it can do for communities that perhaps didn't have those experiences previously. So um, I think while um, all the components, components that Supri was mentioning are still valid here and technology does not solve all the issues, I think it just opens up the doors to a greater population. Now we have to figure out what population now still isn't served and what can we as designers do to now serve them that don't have access to the location the technology to delivery whatever it is so i think it's just another tool for us to have a bigger conversation about about um uh, uh mobility and access and so how far do you think we are from thinking about tech not as tech but just as a tool to accomplish design goals because um, something that I, I tend to get a little frustrated with is people who think of tech as a goal in and of itself instead of just tools to accomplish certain goals. Um, and so how does that play into your work and what are your thoughts on that? 100% agree. Everything we use and do is just a tool for something greater. So what is our end goal? Um, and again, for us, it's about um, serving the communities and creating equality and inclusion and Everything that's at our disposal, we'll grab it and try to use it to try to accomplish that goal. So um, for us, it's not necessarily saying that we have to use new technologies. For us, it's what technology is available and how do we use that to optimize it and maybe not even use it in the way it was intended to try to serve those communities. So everything from all the designs that we do um, to you know the, the tools and techniques that we use are all for something else, something bigger and something greater than ourselves. Um, I could not agree more with Stanley. I think very well said. Um, one thing I can add, technology is tool, definitely a tool. It cannot be any taken at any more value than that. It's a tool to reach somewhere. But I think one of the things the technology is doing is it's taking us to that future a lot quicker because of all of the advancements. I'm not going to wait for the technology to come and then, oh, now that I have this technology, I'm able to do it, right? Why not think forward? I want to be able to do this. I want to be able to create, whether it's creating a space or creating some experience or creating some kind of an interaction. I want technology to be able to do it for me. Oh, but the technology is not there yet. Guess what? We need to get that tool fast-tracked and move faster because where things are going, I and I think... Technology is a big role to play in it. It's only has is going to get bigger and better and faster. So how is that tool going to help us to reach 
the more futuristic ideas, the more engaging ideas where we can bring things better sooner to people. Why don't we advance it more? Because I've talked to people and they said, oh, yeah, but the technology is not there yet. I said, so how many years do you think we'll be able to have the technology? <laughs> so that makes sense. So um it seems like part, at least part of your work has to do with experimenting with new things and trying new things. How do you reconcile that with perhaps um, clients that might be more on the conservative side or don't want to uh, be a, a test subject for a new idea or even don't want to appear to rock the boat? And, and how do you convince them to maybe try something that you're pretty confident might work, but you don't really necessarily have the proof that it does? Um, that's that's an interesting question, Arnaud, because um, I think um, we have um, testing uh, testing the client, sorry, right? So it's about um, the pandemic has already done it to us, right? So already, um, I'm going to speak from the retail mass perspective of the sites because that's where my experience has been and that's the clients that uh, we are working with, right? So their ports have already been rocked by the pandemic. They are actually looking for what can they do? How can they make their place is better? What can they add to bring people back? Or do they have to just give up on the spaces and think of something else, right? So they're not afraid to try because at the moment where they are at this time, they actually want us to come to them with solutions. And that's why we are always brainstorming and we're always coming up with ideas and then we present them and say, what do you think about this? Do you think you're interested in investing in it? Like one of the examples is where every single time biophilic design got cut out of the project because don't have the money, can't afford it, value engineer it. Now the clients are coming and asking us because what people are telling them is, I don't want to come unless you're giving me a better space with more green ambience, with a better environment where I feel like I'm breathing fresh air because COVID has scared us all. So we are very careful and we, we want to go where we feel we are invited, where we feel we are safer and more secure. So so I think that's so they're not afraid. In fact, they're asking us for it. And you're right. There's a a a bit of an experimentation which goes with it. But as designers, we are always brainstorming ideas. And if we think something's going to stick, as partners, we work with them. Uh, for Mason Studio, um, we consider ourselves as experimenters at heart. We have a studio uh, in Toronto, and the whole purpose of the studio is for experimentation. So building things, trying things, things that totally fail, and installations, all to see how that impacts human beings. So, you know, there's a couple of installations that we just completed during the pandemic to explore how we can create more human connection using physical space. So, you know, these things are not things that we'd ever install into our clients' projects, but they give us learnings and understandings of humans to be able to apply to projects. So, you know, when we do make these suggestions, especially if they're not typical or haven't been seen before, I think our response is patience and education because we have to tell them And I think we have responsibility as professionals to educate what we think is the best solution and what do we think is going to be the most relevant in the future. And we always say to ourselves, we'll take it as far as we can. If it doesn't happen on this project, we've educated the client that maybe two projects down the line, they will understand the value of this. So for us, it's a bit of a waiting game, you know, especially the more progressive ideas. We'll try, we'll try and we'll push, but also recognizing that education alone is a conversation and is 
is progress. So even if we still have something that's not socially or environmentally responsible, we know that this project is one step closer towards that conversation. So patience is our key. Yeah, that makes sense. I think you have to be patient as a designer, no matter what. Um, so we've talked a little bit about that experimentation aspect of your work, and it seems like the pandemic was, or a silver lining of the pandemic, not to make light of the entire situation, was that it opened up a little more uh, the conversation for new ideas and experimentations. What are some of the most uh, interesting or transformative changes that you've seen being implemented, whether it's in your work or in other people's work uh, across the board and specifically in the retail world? What are some of the most interesting things you've seen? If it's pandemic specific, that change to which we are now seeing, I think um, one of the big things we saw was appreciation of outdoor spaces and appreciation of having that outdoor entrances and outdoor patios and those spaces where you could still feel safe and secure, but have that engagement uh, and be able to engage with whether it's your family or friends or, or as a community. So what was thought of as just the parking spaces or just parking lots for the purposes of parking became so much more valuable suddenly. So that we saw a big shift happen in trying to use those outdoor spaces to create more of those hubs, community hubs and engagement spaces. Um, and the same, and trying to repurpose those spaces, whether it's trying to create some kind of an event for the community, whether it's trying to create a movie night for the community, whether it's trying to have a pop-up shopping um, testing center or a vaccine dispensing center, or whether it's food truck Friday and, uh, and then creating those uses. So that was, again, a way to re-engage outdoors, which was not very prevalent pre-pandemic. So that was one of the big shifts we saw. I would say the shift that we saw or that we're seeing now is small, but so critical. I'm going to say it's a, a lowercase shift. Um, and I think what it is, is that our, our, our clients, our community, purchasers, customers, clients are all seeing the, the critical importance of human connection uh, and communication. So when we talked about retail uh, or other types of um, interior design sectors, yes, we would talk about you know connection, but it has not been as prevalent as it is now. And I hope this sticks because I think if we can start to create space and see the value of connection of people, that it impacts all of our spaces and actually has um, you know quantifiably a impact on the bottom line. You know, we're creating these communities of people, whether it be communities as in neighborhoods or if it's a community of a certain makeup brand, whatever it is, we have to find space and make space for them to be able to share their common goals and needs and dreams and hopes. And if we don't have that, whether it be online or physical, um, we just won't be able to create those bonds. And I think that that's the conversation we've had so much re recently is how do we create more of a connection between people who are using our products? Yeah, and I think human connection is so important. Uh, there's an example that comes to mind. All the cafes in my neighborhood have stopped uh, allowing people to stay inside, or if they allow people to stay, it's nothing like what it was before the pandemic. You you don't have that kind of informal uh, interactions that you'd have with perfect strangers or neighbors that you know. Um, and I think that, that hasn't come back yet, Not at least not in a way that I've seen. Um, so... How do we make sure that this is, uh, or how do you make sure that this is 
being brought back as the pandemic eases away and and we kind of forget about this whole two-year nightmare uh, and make sure that those human connections that I personally find extremely not valuable, vital, like being able to socialize in a variety of environments is critical to, I think, human flourishing, broadly speaking. So how do we make sure that this uh, is not forgotten and by two years of sitting behind a computer and being on Zoom. And because I personally forgot what it meant to socialize outside of the house, I had to like relearn it. Uh, and I think that's a, that's an issue for a lot of people. So what, what do you want to say to that? Hey, for us, I think the pandemic has opened up a door for conversation. Um, and I think as a professional, it's my responsibility to keep the conversation going and to record it and to document it and to understand it and continue that progress that we're making. Um, and I think we also have to understand that um, this human connection can come in so many different forms. Um, just as an example, I was um, I was um, going down the elevator of my condo and there's this older gentleman who didn't have family. And he said the only thing keeping him motivated on the day-to-day -day was going to the cafe getting a coffee saying hello to the to the um, barista and then going home that was his only human interaction and just to remember that it doesn't have to be an elaborate setup these tiny moments that we as designers have the opportunity to impact are so impactful to some people that we may not even recognize so for us it's trying to recognize everybody who might need assistance in some way and for us just to help facilitate those conversations so that's what we're going to take away from it and that's what we're going to continue to promote with our clients to say we need to make sure that people are connecting in our spaces and people who we don't expect so it's really important for us to continue that conversation yeah it makes a lot of sense so i can add to that i think Being here at Ideas today, just kind of, and seeing the room full of people actually wanting to attend in person was, you know, people have been during pandemic at homes locked in and they're longing to go out. They're longing to have that human interaction. They don't want to do Zoom calls anymore. We didn't want to do Zoom call and podcast and Zoom call, right? So, so as hum, uh, humans are very social in nature and I don't think anything can take away, take that away from us. So... If you think there is no interaction happening anymore, it's just a temporary phase because it's going to come bigger. It's going to come better and people are going to want that. And that's why we keep saying it's it's they're going to want more experiences because they want to go to those places. They want to talk to you. They want to experience. They want to do more because they haven't been able to do anything for two years. So they're actually asking for more, looking for more. And it's just happening. And I think being here in person today and seeing everyone was like, Oh my God, it is so much better. To, like the energy you get from it, it's a different vibe. So you can't switch that with anything digital. It's amazing, all. isn't it? <laughs> um, I want to switch topics slightly and talk about sustainability. How is that impacting uh, the future of design and retail specifically? So um, I think um, the one great thing, and I keep bringing that up, is net zero by 2050. Everybody has a responsibility. We all have to become um, net zero by 2050. So interestingly, most of our clients who were not looking at doing zero carbon or looking at doing lease certifications, they're all in the past year and a bit, they've all come back and said, okay, the next project we're starting what is it going to take for us to be lead certified or what is, it, what is it going to take for us to become zero carbon? So there is 
that revo- that uh, change happening, the shift happening. I wouldn't say revolution because it's going to take a lot more for that to happen. But it is already getting embedded in now the clients asking for it and not just us saying, by the way, we need to be more sustainable. We are we have an innovation lab called Sparkwood, which is igniting changes. It is about putting technology forward, but it is thinking about all of the green solutions and sustainable solutions. So we have partnered up with a number of um, different partners. And uh, we talk about, uh, we've created this battery energy storage systems, which can be put into the shopping centers and then they can capture the solar energy and store the energy. And then your shopping center is recharging itself. So there are a number of those kind of initiatives, which we are innovating and looking into, and then we are showing them to the clients to see if they're interested or not. But um, I still feel it's happening slowly, but I feel there is so much more awareness where every single time sustainability was associated with the dollar figure and then there was an option of whether I want to do it or not is becoming more like it's not an option anymore I have to do it the cities are making you do it the developers are wanting to do it so the change is happening the shift is happening we are looking towards more sustainable architecture and design but it's not as quick as we would like it to be. Just out of curiosity that battery storage system how much of a mall are you able to power with it? So <laughs> it's a very technical question you asked me, but luckily I looked it up. So um, in the prototype that we had created, 5,000 square feet of an outparcel building, if you fully put it with solar panels and you put all of these battery energy storage systems inside, um, you were able to produce eight megawatt hour. And then I said, hmm, how much can you charge with one megawatt hours? And it's something like 10 cars or something batteries. So there is quite a bit that you can actually produce, even if you're not able to completely fully give back to the to the system or the grid. You got to start somewhere, Yeah, you right? can offset a little yes, bit. Yes, yeah. you can offset. And then, of course, there is offsets and then the purchasing green power. But uh, that's where zero carbon is taking us. Um, so the conversation that we have about sustainability is kind of two part. One is in our studio is two part. Um, the first part is environmental sustainability. And the second part is cultural sustainability. So from an environmental perspective, we have a core value in terms of how we design and it's less but better. And uh, coined by Dieter Rams, um, so not, not our idea, but something that we really value is if we don't need it, don't design it, don't build it, don't specify it, because doing nothing, I think, is the most sustainable way of keeping us here. So, you know, from our perspective, it's how do we re- remove all the unnecessary, not just from an aesthetic perspective, it's not about minimalism. It's about what's the basic fundamental things that we need to serve human needs to be able to have a functioning environment that still serves and still provides enrichment. But do we need the X? Do we need this thing, this decorative thing, this extra light, this whatever to actually have a good space? So that's our first step. And the second is, is, you know, yes, we're taking a look at, um, uh, uh, you know, materials that have um, uh, perhaps more responsible production methods. But sometimes we weigh it against if we specify something else that has more longevity and durability and long term might have more resiliency and might have greater durability, but immediately it perhaps is not the most most sustainable method, we still may choose that over having greater quantities of something that is sustainable. So for us, it's quantity. It's about understanding how to minimize, minimize, and less but better. Um, so, and then the second component of that is understanding, you know, what the business values are of our, uh, of our um, uh, suppliers and clients. So, 
Are they at least in the future and in their immediate conversations having these conversations? If they're not, as I said earlier, they may not be doing it right now, but they have to be educated and we have to get their buy-in to know that they will be contributing in a certain way in the future projects. So again, it's that sense of patience where we have to be able to educate and then slowly make the shift. As much as I would love to say that this building that we're doing or this project that we're doing is going to be the most sustainable thing ever, I don't have a method of doing that yet. Um, so that's the conversation is that patience again. Yeah. And, and both on the uh, environmental and cultural sustainability side, if you design something that's supposed to last really long, it's going to be more sustainable than designing a, maybe a green project, but that you have to redesign every 30 years. Um, and I think there's a, and I understand it's extremely difficult because nobody thinks on a, on a, a centennial scale because nobody or very few people live over a hundred years. So I imagine it's hard for business to do, but it would be very interesting to see projects designed for 50, 80, 150 years um, and, and being designed to be dur that durable. Um, uh, sadly, we don't really see that. And, and speaking to the cultural sustainability, some of the world's oldest businesses that have been around for hundreds, if not thousands of years there's not very many but there are a few um are thinking on those time scales so they're they're showing that it's possible and so why do you think we can't do more of that even just thinking on a 75 year time scale instead of 30 10 to 30 years which is what's being done right now what are your thoughts on that it's the culture of immediate gratification what is it right now how does it impact me what do i get from it and i don't think that by and large, this is a massive wide generalization, we have the capacity or the desire to think that far out. And not every, obviously not everybody, but I think generally speaking, we're thinking about immediately, what is the economic impact on me now? It's not to say that these um, responsible methods are going to be more um, unfeasible in terms of cost, but we have to be able to think beyond what's happening right now. But I don't think that conversation is happening enough. I think with the technologies that we talked about, there's so much just immediacy to everything and there's no quote need for that permanence. So I think that we need to shift as professionals, we need to shift the conversation to understand 100,000 years out. Do we have a crystal ball? No, but if we can start talking about it now, at least we have that mindset that we do have a greater responsibility and it's not, it's not for um, us to solve alone, but we have to educate and we have to show the potential positive benefits now of having that thousand year old building as well as having something in the future. So I think it's just starting those conversations. We have to start it. And it looks like you started that conversation or not? Because nobody has asked this question about, have you thought of buildings being resilient, durable for hundreds of years? Not once I have ever had that conversation or anybody even asking or saying that. So there you go. Congratulations. We started the conversation. It's a personal <laughs> hobby of mine. So um, I have asked that question before to a few different people. Um, well, hopefully this helps it spark with other people that might listen to this and, and say, oh, I'm interested in that idea. Um, that's all for the questions I have today. But is there are there any last thoughts on kind of the broad spectrum of ideas we've talked about that you want to share with the audience? And no, it's a viable answer too. For me, I think just kind of reiterating what Mason Studio stands for, that 
all of us, regardless of our profession, you know, yes, I'm speaking about our, you know, the built environment profession right now, but we have an opportunity to make a decision and many, many decisions on a project. For us, it's about making the most positive decision possible that impacts most people in a positive way. And that's something that we can do every decision that we make. And if we all just made a better decision, just like 1% better, 0.5% better, I think that we can slowly shift the industry as a whole. We don't have to jump off the cliff to make change. So for us, it's like, where do I spec this? Can I spec it less? What is, what is that thing? Like, what's the most minute change I can make to make better? Well, that's great, Stanley, because um, it is it is about bringing that change, right? Of uh, how you can how we can do it better, and what can we do differently, and uh, the decisions that we make, right? Um, so, I mean, to all the listeners, um, since we are actually talking about future of the retail, so really, it is all in our hands of where we want to take this future, right? And how do we foresee it? Because everybody's listening. You just have to have the conversation and say, what is it that you're looking for? Because that's where the future is going to take us is what we are looking for. So engaging, having conversations, sharing, what is it that you're looking for? Sharing, what is it that you desire? What is it that you want? I think sharing all of those ideas is what is going to motivate us and gravitate us towards creating that for those spaces for people. Because it's again we're in this in this together so we want to create something that is going to be loved by the end users and be appreciated by them right so as designers that's what we try to do and on that note about retail i mean to keep retail relevant we have got to go out we have to shop so don't be afraid to get out of the houses don't be afraid to go shopping because i do and we need to keep retail relevant and we need to take it to the next level and make it more engaging and have those conversations. The challenge is the convenience of Amazon. Um, I think those are very inspiring, inspiring words to end on. I want to thank you both very much for taking the time to participate. And hopefully this is the first of many future conversations. Well, thank you for having us. Thanks so much for having us. Hey, Arno here. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and that you'll come back for more. Please share with your friends and colleagues and remember to subscribe on our website at rvltr.studio. Until next time, ciao.